Well, good evening. It's good to see you all here. Glad that you're joining us for a special time. Uh, this truly is a holy moment in the life of Solid Rock Church. As we just finished singing about, it is holy, first of all, because of the presence of the living God. As the saints gather in his presence, it becomes truly a holy moment. Uh, but it's also holy, uh, a holy moment in terms of what God is doing in the life of Solid Rock Church, his work here. And so tonight, we are going to be introducing to you two new elder candidates. We are excited about what that means for us as a church. As God continues to grow our church body to reach out into this community. And so, uh, so we're going to do that tonight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend a few minutes uh, walking through uh, the New Testament uh, to, to do a couple things. One, to answer the question, what is an elder? And then from there, I'll spend a few minutes talking about the qualifications, what qualifies a man to be an elder. And then we'll end uh, in, in looking at some of the duties of an elder. So to begin with, um, so some of you uh, probably come from different backgrounds. We have folks from Southern Baptist Church background. We have people from a Methodist Church background. Some of you uh, grew up in the Church of Christ. Some of you grew up in a Catholic church. And so uh, when you hear the, the word elder, I think uh, for a lot of us, it's, it's a kind of a, a, an ambiguous title. We're not quite sure what it means. So in the New Testament, you've got three uh, words that get used uh, interchangeably or synonymously. And the three words are elder, overseer, and pastor. And so in, uh, in 1 Peter 5, when he's calling himself an elder and addressing the elders of the church, he says this. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, what he did is actually use those three words that, gets, that get translated elder, overseer, pastor, uh, interchangeably there. And I'll, I'll show you, and then we'll look at a, a reference where Paul does that as well. So obviously up front, he's calling himself an elder. He's addressing the elders of the church. And then he commissions them to shepherd the flock of God. Now, this is the word that we, we get pastor from. So the word pastor, when you translate shepherd from Latin into English, you get pastor. And that's where we got the word. So when we say pastor, we are, what we literally mean is to shepherd people. So Peter is calling the elders to pastor the people. But he also, in this passage, uh, commissions them to exercise oversight. This is the same word that gets translated overseer in uh, 1 Timothy 3 and other places. So Peter is using those labels interchangeably, addressing the same group of men. In Acts 20, uh, this is where Paul is on a missionary journey and he writes to the elders of the church of Ephesus and invites them to come meet him so he can address them. And so in addressing the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, 28, he tells the elders to pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. So that, again, this commission from Paul now to, uh, to pastor, to shepherd the people in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So there's this interchangeable use of these words again from, from Paul, elder, shepherd, overseer. He ends this with to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
So we have these three words that get used interchangeably. The first one is elder, which literally translates uh, a mature adult male. So uh, that's where all the jokes come from when you, uh, when you talk about the elders being old guys. Well, when you use it in the context of the church, though, it doesn't simply just mean uh, to be an elder in age. It means to be an elder in spiritual maturity. So not necessarily those who have gray hair, but those who have been walking with Christ for an extended period of time and have began to mature and display a sense of maturity, spiritually speaking. The word overseer, uh, very simply put, literally means to have responsibility for the care of someone else. So there's a sense of like a, a parenting responsibility. Okay, so, so you're not just responsible for making sure the house is clean. You're responsible for making sure your kids stay alive. So that's the responsibility of an overseer, one who oversees the well-being of people. And then the, uh, then the last one is the shepherd or pastor. And so um, this, this is a really uh, more of a metaphorical or a, an illustrative word of what a, shel- a shepherd or a pastor or an elder does. When it's used in the context of the church, it means to lead and take care of the people of the church with the implication of direct personal involvement. So, so it's the... So, so the idea is, like with sheep, that the shepherd doesn't walk them out into the pasture and then walk away and go take care of other business. If the sheep go out into the pasture, the shepherd leads them out, and then he stays with them to, to look over them, to protect them, to stay on guard, to make sure none of them stray. And then when it's time to come in at night, he doesn't just pin them up and go home. He pins them up, and then he beds down with them. So the idea of being an elder is not simply someone who makes decisions over the church and then goes home, but somebody who lives his life among the people of God. And so these words get used interchangeably. Here at Solid Rock, the way we use the words um, are are this way. So when we refer to the body of, of the elders, overseers of the church of Solid Rock, we use the word elder. That's what we mean. This is a man who's been called by God, who meets the qualifications of an elder, and is leading among the elders in the church. And when we use the term pastor, even though there's synonymous meaning there, what we mean at Solid Rock Church are the elders who get paid. Okay, So if if an elder is being compensated, we use the term pastor. Um, However, if if the person is not being compensated, not paid, we simply use the term elder. Now, Um, What we're going to do now is we're going to move into the biblical qualifications of an elder, the character that is required to be an elder. So in 1 Timothy 3, Paul lays out for Timothy, a young pastor elder, the qualifications of the men that he's to be looking for to call to this position. Now, anytime we go through 1 Timothy 3 in an elder meeting with, uh, with someone, uh, and, uh, and we're getting ready to ask hard questions about character. I love how Billy Warren will always um, introduce that passage by talking about how none of us have arrived uh, perfectly at these qualifications, that we are striving towards these qualifications as elders. So, so I think it's incredibly important to start in uh, the foundation for where these qualifications come from. So in Romans 5... Uh, Paul talks about where our character comes from. Starting in verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what every elder at Salt Rock Church stands on is that they have been justified by faith and faith alone. So we don't come to the table as men of character qualifying us to elder and lead the church. We come to the table as men of faith who have been justified by Christ And in doing so, because our lives are rooted in that gospel, our our lives are rooted in believing that we've been justified by faith. Now there is a fruit coming out of the lives of the elder that looks like what uh, Paul will describe in 1 Timothy 3. So in Romans 5, he continues on. So we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also attained access by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in Christ, we understand that godly character is the fruit of the Holy Spirit And the result of the ongoing process of sanctification through the trials, the hardships, and the sufferings of life. And so what we're saying about an elder is this. Not that they have arrived perfectly, but that 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 man has been, his, his life has been rooted in the gospel and is now producing this character as fruit. So in 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now in this process, we've looked at more than just the two men we're going to introduce to you tonight. And we've spoken with more men than, than just the two we're going to introduce to you tonight. And what was exciting for us is to hear from other men in our church that there is a desire to elder here at Solid Rock. It's not something that you should feel guilty about. It's something that you should aspire to. And, and Paul begins with Timmy, Timothy and says, if, if there's a man in your church who wants to be a, an elder, that's a noble desire. From here he goes on and says in verse 2, Therefore an overseer must be, first of all, above reproach. The way we interpret that word reproach and the way we translate that is to live our lives in such a way that we're beyond being approached with an offense. So it means that the elders are quick to track down offenses quick to go after uh, points of division, quick to move towards repentance and reconciliation. It doesn't mean that at times we don't offend or don't hurt, uh, but we're quick to go after that and reconcile that so that any given moment we're living our lives uh, above the uh, above a- accusation, above the uh, opportunity for somebody to approach us with something that we've offended somebody else for. So we live our lives above reproach. The husband of one wife. Now this is one of the qualifications of an elder that can tend to get divisive in the churches. Churches will split over how they translate this. Some translate that this phrase to mean that the man who is to be an elder could only be married once. So in other words, it disqualifies men who've been divorced from being elders. Others will say, no, actually what it means is to be a one-woman man, that you're faithful to the wife that you have. So here's where we land as a church on this this phrase. 
Um, so first of all, we spent the better part of, of six, six to eight weeks as elders studying this and, and with the leadership team's help walking through this phrase. And so from 1 Corinthians 7, we get Paul's instruction on divorce and even remarriage. And so where we land as an elder body at Salt Rock Church is this, that it, it does mean a one-woman man. So a man who's been divorced is not immediately disqualified from being an elder. However, if that is the case, there will be a lengthy conversation about repentance and restoration. It is possible for a man to have, to have gotten a divorce, but now to be reconciled, either reconciled in marriage to that, uh, to that former spouse, or at least reconciled relationally so there are no outstanding offenses there, and through repentance to be restored and meet the qualifications of an elder, and at the given moment being a one-woman man. So, so what we interpret this to be is a complete faithfulness to the woman that you're married to. Now, moving from here, uh, sober-minded. An elder must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. We'll actually bring that up again in just a minute under the duties. Not a drunkard. Another divisive point among the qualifications of an elder. Some churches would interpret this to mean that elders are, are to abstain 100% from alcohol and never to drink, uh, where, where others would say, actually, it literally means not to be given to drunkenness or not to be addicted to much wine. So as long as they're not addicted or drunkards, they can be elders. And so we, we kind of land in the middle. We, we, uh, we see that there's room for both. And so if an elder says, hey, I feel convicted that, that God doesn't want me to drink alcohol, and so I'm going to abstain, we, we honor that decision. We support that conviction. But if there's an elder who says, uh, you know what, I within the boundaries of prudence, and uh, within, the, within, within the boundaries of not offending people, uh, if I choose to drink alcohol in a way that doesn't lead to addiction or drunkenness, we, we honor that as well, and, uh, and we get behind that conviction as well. And so literally what it means is that an elder is not given to drunkenness and not addicted to much wine. So from here, uh, what Paul says is that... Uh, He's not a violent man, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now, at the end of this letter, in chapter 6, Paul's going to come back and talk about the love of money being the root of all evil. Verse 4, he must manage his household well with dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will we care for God's church? There's a very practical implication here. Now, I think the other elders would agree with me that one of the hardest places to lead is in our own homes. And so this is a pretty tall standard here. That for a man to lead in the church, he must first lead well in his home. Leading his wife well and leading his children well. I think further implications are, are implied here as well. Uh, manage his own finances, manage resources, okay? So the idea is that if a man is going to lead out and, and manage God's household, steward God's household, he must first steward well in his own home. The question comes, how will he care for God's church? 
If he can't do this at home, how could, in the world could he do this for the church? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, meaning he didn't just become a Christian. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into the disgrace and to the snare of the devil. So, um, so there's, a, there's a component to being an elder that would say that you have a good reputation both inside and outside the church. Now, what we have built into the process starting tonight is that there is a, there is a way for a man's character to be checked by the church. And I will talk about that in a few minutes, how we want you to participate in that. But it's incredibly important that this man not just have a good reputation with the elders and and not just a good reputation among the people of the church, but that this man carries this character everywhere he goes. Now, you know, as elders, we... We're really never not on duty, okay? And so we have meetings a couple times a month. We, um, we do other things um, you know, between those meetings. Um, but an elder is an elder, not just at the meetings, not just on this campus, but an elder at Chili's. An elder is an elder um, when he takes his wife out on Friday night. An elder is an elder when he takes his kids to the zoo on Saturday. An elder is an elder in a business meeting at work. An elder is an elder in those moments when nobody else is looking. And so this is a pretty high standard of character, that we're asking for here. But what we want to be clear on is by bringing two candidates to you tonight, we're not saying that these men have perfectly accomplished everything on the list, but that we can see the fruit of this character in their lives accompanied by a rootedness in the gospel that compels these men to strive towards godliness. And so we're not asking you to evaluate, are these men perfect? But what we are doing is saying, do these men bear the fruit, as described in the scripture, of what it means to be an elder? So now what I want to do is I want to move to the biblical duties of an elder. We just talked about what's required in character. Now we're going to look at what's required in terms of the duties and responsibilities in the church. What does an elder do? And so just foundationally, we, we meet twice a month to move through an ongoing agenda of, of items that, uh, that range from uh, purely administration to, uh, to shepherding people and, uh, and making decisions. And so, um, so as, we, as we think about what an elder meeting is, I would say this, that what we believe is that no decision is ever made uh, separate from a life affected. And so every decision we make, even something that seems purely administrative for us, has a name, has a life, has a soul attached to it. And so, um, so we're not simply just administrating over the church. We are shepherding the church through these decisions. Now, um, some people don't know that our elder meetings are open 
um, for you to come to if something comes up in your life and you like for the elders to, uh, to, to counsel or to pray over you, um, we, we welcome you in. And so if that's something that comes up uh, for you, we really enjoy that, by the way. Um, we love the break from the agenda to spend time with people. And so if something comes up in your life and you're thinking, I'd really like to have the elders take on this or I'd like to have the elders pray over this situation, um, all you have to do is approach one of us and say, hey, can I come to an elder meeting? And what we will do is say, absolutely, let us, let us look at the calendar and we'll give you a couple of dates to choose from and then absolutely come join us for an elder meeting. But in addition to our meetings that have been known to run to midnight, 2 a.m., was it 3 a.m. was our latest? It was at Whataburger. It was between 2 and 3 a.m. was our latest to date since I've been here. Uh, And so outside of that, though, the Bible calls us to certain duties in the church. And so here's just a few of those. Um, Starting in Titus 1, the first part of verse 7 says, an overseer, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And so when Paul is writing to Titus, he wants him to think of overseers as stewards, both of God's people and God's resources. So there's a sense of responsibility, not just to to make administrators, but like we talked about earlier, to truly steward people, lives, hearts. Every decision that's made Even the administrative, boring, black and white decisions have names attached to them and hearts attached to them and lives attached to them. We have to think through, who does this affect? How will it encourage? Is there the potential for discouragement? So no decision that we make is ever disconnected from a name and a face and a soul. Because we're not just stewarding administratively the building and the lights and the money. We're stewarding people. So here's what we understand, and I want to make this statement just for, I'll say it and then I'll explain it. The elder body is responsible for stewarding the people and resources of the local church. So it's a statement we believe, okay? The elder body as a whole, not the individual elder, holds the position of highest ecclesiastical authority in the local church. We want you to understand that. I don't hold a high power of authority in the church. The elder body as a whole does, okay? And it's why you hear us talk about consensus. We don't vote. It's all or nothing. Because as a body, we make decisions together and we all stand behind them 100%. Okay? And so Ken walking around through the hallway doesn't have the authority to make decisions over anything in the church. But when Ken joins with myself and Billy and Larry, and we join as a body of elders, that has the ecclesiastical authority. It's what we see in Acts with the council at Jerusalem. They come together and make a consensus, unified decision. That has authority, and they write letters and send it out to the churches. Okay? So it's important to see it that way. Now, as we continue forward, um, 1 Timothy, in chapter 5, verse 17, he says this, let the elders who rule, that's a hard word, rule, right? Um, some churches uh, describe their eldership as elder rule. We use the word elder led because of the way we translate this word. So let me just give you the translation. The word here can be translated to stand before, to lead, and to manage. So because it has an authoritative bent, some will just say rule. But for us, it's 
It's a little bit deeper than that. There's a sense that these men have been called to stand before the church, to lead the church, and to manage. And so it, and Paul says to Timothy, let the, elder who, the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double portion, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So when we roll right into Titus 1.9 in the qualifications in Titus, he says this, he being an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. It's a primary responsibility of an elder in the church, in the managing, in the stewarding, in the shepherding of people, the protection of sound doctrine, the responsibility to oversee the teaching and the proclamation. It doesn't mean that every elder necessarily needs, needs to or has to preach, but every elder bears a responsibility. It's, so like our statement of faith was generated, proved, and edited by the elder body. That's what we've said. This is where we land on these theological issues. And so we've been, like Paul says to Timothy, we've been commissioned and charged to guard it and guard it well. So in addition to managing and stewarding, um, elders are to, uh, to teach doctrine. Um, love James 5. This, this is something we experience in elder meetings a lot. I want to just, again, throw the invitation out there to you. James 5 says in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone is, cheer is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We love praying over people. Really, we do. And so um, in, in a Sunday service, in an elder meeting, in your home, in the hospital, this is something that elders have been commissioned and charged to do in stewarding and caring for the church to be there to pray over the flock. Uh, of course, in Ephesians 4, we were just in this series um, a while, uh, about a month and a half ago, we were in chapter 4, um, Paul writes this to the church, and he being Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, those are all leadership roles in the church, to equip the saints for work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But did you see where it started? Elders are responsible for equipping the church for ministry. Now, historically, especially when we were smaller, elders did the ministry. We are actually talking about this last night in the elder meeting, talking about the transition from, well, if the elders don't do it, nobody's going to do it, to a time where you guys are doing the ministry, and now we're seeing more fruit. The more we step back and oversee and shepherd, and you rise up and lead, lead teams, lead life groups, the more you get involved in serving and ministering. I love our prayer partners there's some elders involved, but I love that we have non-elders involved in that, ministering to the people. It's our job to equip the saints to minister. And in the next couple of years, we're hoping you see more and more of that transition to more of the oversight role. And be honest, we're, we're tired. <laughs> we're ready to see you do it. We are. We're ready to see you guys stepping up to the ministry God has gifted and called you to, and we want to be the wind in your cells. We want to be walking alongside of you, encouraging you, discipling you, helping you stay on track, 
and growing towards this maturity that Paul is describing in Ephesians 4. So we've got managing, leading, teaching, prayer, equipping. Uh, from 1 Peter 5, and this is where I'll, I'll land tonight. Um, Peter, okay, so Peter was a disciple. He walked with Jesus for a good part of three years, denied Jesus at the cross three times, was reinstated by Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then what did Jesus say? Go be a shepherd, right? Go feed my sheep. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I just answered your question. Of course I love you, Lord. Go feed my sheep. And then one more time, Peter, do you love me? And you just kind of feel it kind of sinking into the density of his skull. <laughs> then here's what I want you to do. Go be a shepherd of my people. I connect that with, with Matthew 16 where Peter makes the proclamation, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, it's upon that statement, I'm gonna build my church. And then after the resurrection, he's reinstating Peter. Now you go shepherd. So in 1 Peter chapter five, we hear these words from Peter himself, starting in verse one. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I was there, I saw it as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock. You feel the weight of those words now? Who told him that? Jesus did. Jesus told Peter, you shepherd the flock. Now he is telling every elder, shepherd the flock. Feed my sheep. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. There's gonna be work involved. You're going to have to lead. You're going to have to make hard decisions. You're going to at times have to make unpopular decisions. As long as they're faithful to the gospel and where the Holy Spirit is leading, you're going to have to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, not because you have to, not because if nobody else does it, right? If you don't do it, nobody else will. Not out of compulsion, but willingly. Willingly, as God would have you. It's one of the things I love, regardless of how late we go or how many times we, we go late in meetings, I love the willingness of these men. And they work hard, except for Ken's retired now, uh, which means he doesn't do much, right? Um, just kidding, but you know, it wasn't very long ago he was working too, and we all would stay up till midnight, one o'clock, and then have to get up and go to work the next morning and just keep right, walking right along, doing all the things that we were responsible for. And often we've had elder meetings where you know, we'll shut down at 10 or 11 o'clock and Larry's like, yeah, I gotta get up at you know, 3 a.m. to head out to Midland, Odessa. You know, I'm getting up in four hours, so I might as well just stay up. Like that's the kind of willingness we have represented here. And it's not because these are perfect righteous men outside of the righteousness of Christ. It's the gospel that compels this willingness. It is. It's this reminder of the cross that says it's worth it. It's worth it to go without sleep. Not under compulsion, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willing as God would have you, not for shameful gain. That's what Paul also says to Timothy, right? Not a lover of money. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. It's a very humble leadership. It's a Christ-exemplified leadership. It's a leadership that's willing to wash the feet of the sheep. Not domineering, dominating, forcing authority. 
but humbly, gently, like a shepherd leads sheep, leading the flock of God. Continuing on in verse 3, but being examples to the flock. And I love this next word, and when the chief shepherd appears. Who's that? Jesus. Elders, our role is temporary. We shepherd God's people as interim shepherds. Church, we, we do so. There'll be, there'll be a day in eternity if I get up on stage, you're gonna tell me to get off because there will be a good shepherd. And ultimately, we're sheep. We're sheep. Any shepherding role we have is an under-shepherd role under his authority and leadership. And when we step into eternity, I know Revelation describes elders in eternity. That's fantastic. But you won't need us to shepherd you in eternity. You'll have the good shepherd forever. And so our role is temporary, being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will, uh, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And there's an overview of what an elder is, what the qualifications are, and what the duties are. Now, um, what I want to do now is just talk a little bit about the process that we've gone through up to this day, and then I'm going to introduce a couple of men to you. Um, so uh, early on when, when I started here as, as pastor, um, Billy and Ken were the two remaining elders um, uh, after that, at that point in the journey, okay? And so they, as an interim pastor, made me an honorary elder to kind of help them um, work through decisions, and so we did that. Then as I came on as pastor and a permanent elder, really one of the first conversations we said is, it's not gonna be long, we're gonna need some help here. So we need to be thinking about, praying about what that process is gonna look like. We can't just bring people in, right, without some sort of process. And at the time, we were looking around going, you know, who do we select? What does the process need to look like? But we knew we needed to. And in faith, we kept moving forward. Um, it wasn't uh, too long after that, six months or so, I think, and, uh, and Larry Roberts, who had been an elder in the past, Larry and Deborah, had come to the, back to the church, back into the fellowship, were in good standing, had been here for several months. And the first thing we did is created a process for a returning elder to walk through. Okay, so if you've been an elder and you leave the church, you can come back and be an elder. There's a process we need to talk about. Why did you leave? And, and are your relationships sound? Are you still in good rapport with people inside and outside the church? Is your heart still set on being an elder? So we walked through that process with Larry. And then after, that was a six-month process, brought him back on officially as an elder. And even then, looked at each other and said, there's not enough. We know the way God is going to our church, we're going to need more men to help us lead. And so from there, um, for about two years, it just kind of sat, um, not necessarily dormant, but we didn't do a whole lot of work with it because we had so many other things on the agenda. But after another two years, so we're about three years in, we began to say, okay, it's time to start rough drafting a process. And so, so we did. I just kind of studied what other churches were doing, looking at the scriptures, and we just started working through a process. We worked through the hard issues like husband and one wife and not given to drunkenness. And a leadership team was there for a lot of that conversation, helping us think through and study through that. 
And so after we worked through that whole uh, process of what it looks like, we, we put together towards the end of last year, a one year, 12 month process um, for a person to, to become an elder. And so the process itself looks like this. Um, the elders begin with a prayer and a selection time, a time of praying and talking through possible candidates. We started that um, first of January, first of middle of January this year, talking through, okay, let's, let's start collecting names and talking about who God possibly could be calling to elder here. And so once we get that narrowed down to who we're going to pursue right now, we extend an invitation. And if the invitation is accepted, that begins that one-year elder process with interviews. And so we interview once a month for three months. So there's three primary interviews. There's a couple other one-on-one interviews involved in that. But primarily, it's, there's three months of interviews. If it goes beyond that, for the next nine months, that person sits with the elders then as um, basically a junior elder or a non-decision-making elder, but as a part of all the conversations. And, and we're still evaluating they are and we are. Is this really what God wants? So we, we, we try to build something that would be healthy, that in the end, everybody would know without a shadow of a doubt, this man needs to be an elder. Okay? And so um, what we decided early on is that in month two, because this person needs to have a good reputation inside and outside the church, we had to bring that candidate before the body, not on a witch hunt, but in a way that we say, this is who we're thinking about, and give you an opportunity to think and pray with us, and just according to the scriptures, if there's anything that disqualifies that person from being an elder, there needs to be a process by which we can walk through in a healthy way that would end in God's decision. Okay, and so we want to, in the second month, bring that person. So tonight we're in month two with two men, and we're going to bring them before you in just a little bit. And then from here, we would go to a third interview. Um, the second month interview, we actually interview the husband and the wife, and, uh, and we talk through, we have an elder's wife there to talk through what does it mean to be an elder's wife, and we go through all that, and then month three are the last remaining questions, and then we're off and, off and running. So what we did early this year in January, we started talking names, and we ended up with a list of 10 possible candidates here which was exciting for us, that we had 10 men who were beginning to exemplify the character of an elder in our church. Early on, we were thinking, well, how are we gonna ever f- select anybody? And then we started the conversation, went, we've got 10 mar- men here to talk to. And we realized that, you know what, it probably would be healthy to bring on a, f- a couple at a time as the church grows. And so we said, now how are we gonna narrow down 10 names to two? We love all these men. These men all exemplify some sort of fruit of the character of an elder and have led and have served. And so um, we, we came up with a basic criteria. One is elder character. Um, the second one is a humble servant's heart. Um, does this person exemplify what Peter described? And then, and then third, what does the current involvement look like? Okay, because some, some men have been here for a long time. Some have been here less. And so we're, what, is, what is God doing right now? in that person's life. And so we use that criteria to bring the, na- the names down to two. And then we decided, before we go too far in, we wanna meet with the other eight to let these men know we see this character and quality in them, and we believe that God possibly is calling them to elder one day. And so we met one-on-one with these men, several of them are sitting in the room tonight, to encourage them and let them know we see this in you. And we want to fan that into flame. We want to walk with you into the future. And if God calls you to this, we want to be ready. And so we've, we've made available um, all that's required, what I've taught through tonight for these men to know and to study and to grow in. And if you've ever been a part of a leadership team, you know how we select names. It's just 
one step off from how they'd pick the, the apostle to replace Judas. They basically rolled dice. Um, we don't roll dice, um, but what we do is we just use this real simple system. Uh, we got 10 names here. We got to pick two. Larry, give me three. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? I mark, put three marks by that name, or by those three names. Put a mark. Ken, give me three names. Do I have to? Yes. We got to pick. This is how we do leadership team as well. Uh, then I, my three, and so on and so forth. And then, then we just look at the, the tally, like, right now, what is the Holy Spirit saying? And so that's how we decided. We went through and said, all, and there was, a, there was a beautiful unison among us, that this is the way God is leading. And so we're excited about those two, introducing them to you. We're excited about the future for the other eight. We're excited about the future of Solid Rock and what God is doing in the flock, that he would decide to raise up shepherds. We don't need shepherds if there aren't going to be sheep. Evidently, God is moving out here, and he's preparing us for the future. So, that being said, one more thing. Um, after the service tonight, if you have any questions for the elders about anything I've taught or said tonight, um, these men will be available. My notes will be up here. If you may need to refer to them. Um, this will be online, uh, but we're available to answer questions. Now, in the regrettable moment that you might, in humility, know something or feel like you know something that disqualifies one of these candidates from being an elder, here's what that needs to look like. It needs to be free from slander and gossip to begin with. It needs to be a firsthand account, not rumors. However, if that happens, here's what we would like for you to do as your elders, to come directly to one of us. And in confidence and in humility, share whatever your concern is with us and allow us to bring that to an elder meeting and discuss it, pursue it, and find out what's going on, okay? Now, by the grace of God, that'll never happen. But we wanted to build into the process a way for you to participate should it be there, okay? So that being said, I am excited to introduce to you, first of all, David Darlene. David and Sherry, come to the front. This is David and Sherry Darlene. Uh, they have actually, David has been through the first month of interview, and then last night, Sherry got to be a part for the second interview. Uh, Patty was there to help coach her and let her know what it looks like to be an elder's wife. Um, I would say this about elders' wives. Um, I love Proverbs 31, talking about a, a noble, godly woman. Her husband is known among the elders at the city gates, and so for every elder who stands before you, there is a godly woman next to him, behind him, under him, over him, in front of him, uh, oftentimes checking to make sure his buttons are all buttoned right before he leaves the house. So, um, so Sherry and David, this is an honor to be able to walk through this process with both of you. And so likewise, I want to introduce you to, why are you the back? Daniel and Jennifer Henderson. Come on up. Come on up, come on up. Uh, both of these men, uh, like many other, exemplify what we feel like, the character of an elder, um, have a humble heart to serve like Jesus, and are currently involved in some tremendous ways. Um, these guys are actually both on leadership team right now, and, uh, and both lead life groups. Um, David, you're also on the prayer team, right? Okay. Daniel serves like a madman in the men's ministry and 
in women's ministry as a nursery worker. Um, did I miss anything else that you're currently involved in? Just, you know, life group leaders, leadership team. Yeah, nursery, all the above, prayer team. Uh, and so for, for a number of reasons, we're excited to get to walk this process out with these men and their wives. And so um, what I'm gonna do now is um, I'm gonna call us to a time of prayer as a church to pray for their families, um, even for their children, um, to pray for our church, the unity of our church, and all that God is doing. And so I'm gonna invite Ken to come up and lead this time as an elder and also leader of our prayer team. I'll turn it over to you, Ken.